Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of We Got Balls. We're continuing the discussion on boners and erections and hard-ons. And there's one guy in history that really had a very complex relationship with this boner. Uh, and it goes back a minute. If you've ever heard of uh, St. Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce that, uh, the first city in America was named after him in Florida. Uh, so he's got a legacy. And this guy, if you go back and trace around church history, is probably the most important figure in both the Catholic and the Protestant church. He is a big, big uh, personality in Western uh, religion. And where where St. Augustine uh, really shined was this area of sexuality. And why did he shine in this area of sexuality, Scott? Because he had sexual problems. <laughs> he started out as a man whore. Let's just say, let's just call it that. He grew up without a dad and had his own sexual addiction or sexual compulsion, however you want to, lived with a concubine for a number of years and came to really shame and, and other his sexuality later in life because he didn't know how to make sense of it. He needed We Got Balls. That's If we could just take We Got Balls back to the third and fourth century you know, that would really, or fourth and fifth century, that would really be helpful for St. Augustine. We just need to time travel. Back. And, and honestly, it'd be helpful for a lot of us because a lot of what Augustine said about the penis and erections is just plain wrong. I mean, he links the erect penis to the consequence of sinning in the garden and basically says that the fact that we get unwanted erections, and you know, the idea of erections is who controls my penis? Do I control it or does it control me? That basically gets enshrined in theology by Augustine, this idea that, well, our disobedient penises are the result of the fall, which is just. Well, shame, and shame. so that's, that's exactly what it is. It's unprocessed shame. And that's, uh, that's, that was the seed. And there's a lot of stuff that Augustine said, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, everybody's got something that they're missing. If you think everybody's got it right, you're crazy. But, yeah. but uh, Augustine has had a lot of unprocessed sexual shame which he took out theologically on sex itself as an act. Like he saw the only really value in sexuality is procreation. And that's what the Catholic church really enshrined. And until very recently had done very little work around healthy human sexuality. Yeah. So, so erect penises are seen as a necessary evil in his theology, yeah. which is per, a perversion of the goodness of our bodies and how God yeah. created our bodies to function. Yeah. yeah. So, that ends up showing up not only in European Christian culture, but it ends up showing up in the Puritans in the United States. It ends up influencing the view of sexuality in the United States, even, even to this day, to a large degree. We're still struggling with a lot of sexual shame that comes out of that theology of the body that was corrupt. And, and Well, I'll give you a perfect example. We're traveling uh, over, over the holiday to, um, uh, to go to Austria to do some skiing over Christmas. And one of the things that I'm really considering, in fact, I had a conversation with my son about it, my 21-year-old son about it, is I said, you know what? I think I want to go to a bath, a German bath. If you go to a German bath, man, there ain't no shame in bodies. 
You're it's naked. men. It's women. You're in fact, you're required to be naked. You got to carry a towel around to make sure you don't put your dirty backside on on some nice, uh, you know, wooden seats. But but you do you do bathe naked. You sauna naked. Uh, you change naked. You know, and and so there's there's uh, and it's co-ed. It's not just guys, and it's not it's it's all mixed together. And I think that there is a real health. I'm glad to see the Germans have healed from the Martin Luther body shame from the Reformation, right? Because they've come full circle, and they're like, listen, we we ha- we all have bodies. And so when we're talking about that, especially, and I think the fear of a, of many men in a, in a scenario like that, going to a nude beach and going to a sauna. And again, I'm not advertising that. I'm doing that for me because I have my own sexual shame that needs to be healed. That's just, that's me. Okay. I'm not yeah. prescribing that, but um, is that they're going to get in that place and they're going to get a boner. They're going to, they're going to see someone and they're going to, their, that their body's going to react to this arousal and they're going to get aroused and that's going to be shameful. So, oh my gosh, I can relate to that because um, when I was in seventh grade, I'd entered puberty and my first biggest fear was having to take a shower with the other guys. And what would happen if I sprung one, you know, after the football practice shower. And then the second big fear was going to the doctor and having to drop my trousers and have him grab my balls and kind of do the cough, turn yep. your head, cough. Yep. And I was scared to death of popping a boner there too. Mm. And it terrified me. And so mm. my, my terror actually made it more likely that it was going to happen. It never did happen in either case, yeah. but I'm not the only guy that has that, that has ever oh, yeah. had that fear. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and so we're talking about the, um, the, the religious component, I think um, we, we, we have to really get into the arousal piece around uh, sexual shame. When, when we are uh, looking at porn or acting out sexually and, and being aroused, there is a disintegration that, that shows up in, a, in an erection. I feel there's something wrong or bad with me. And this is exactly what Augustine was trying to fight against in his in his moral tropes against sexuality, because he didn't know how to deal with his own shame. He didn't know how to process through and really work through the root issues around his own sexual brokenness, because he thought, because I get a boner, because I'm aroused by these things, I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. If you want to hear a fuller discussion on this, go back to the sexual shame episode very early in the podcast, because we talked about this at length. But when the compounding nature, Scott, of the sexual shame and the physical expression of that shows up in an erection, what the hell are we going to do, man? Yeah. And and a lot of this goes back to what's your religious system? Like, what is your family system telling you about erections? Yes. Um, I, I think I've told this before, but my dad said to me when I was growing up, now my dad didn't shame me a lot about masturbation or anything, but he did say this one phrase, Son, an erection doesn't have a conscience. And that was his his way of containing my mm. arousal mm. by letting me know that when I got sexually aroused, I could do stupid things. Yep. Now, there's some truth to that. There's a study that was done by Dan Ariarly. It's in the book, Predictably um, Irrational. And basically, they gave computers to, to students at Berkeley and asked them to masturbate or asked them to take this survey on sexual behavior on practices that they would be interested in or not interested in, in a cold state, not aroused. And then they came back 
got the computers back. They were wrapped with cellophane. They took the the survey again. It was interspersed with um, video clips of pornography, and they told the students masturbate, but don't ejaculate. Keep yourself to the point of uh, orgasm as long as you can, mm. and take the survey. And interestingly, when he when they compared the results of would you be interested in all these different sexual experiences, the arousal shifted their interest in participating in a whole range of novel sexual experiences, sex with a 65-year-old woman, sex right. with another guy, right. sex with an animal. It all shifted it in the direction of being more sexually aroused by the thought of doing those things. Why is that? Well, because when we are aroused sexually, we're not in the neocortex, the top of our brain. We start dropping down into the emotional part, the limbic system of our brain where emotions are processed. And then the limbic brain is highly integrated with the brainstem, which actually generates erections in men. So mm. there is a very strong link between our emotional life and our sexual arousal in the way the brain is constructed. And when you're aroused, you don't have access to those higher, they call them executive functions. So there is some truth to that. But the truth has to be delivered in a way that's not coupled together with shame. Yes. Because shame is this physiological way that our bodies get shut down when we're told no as little children starts as children starts very young in our lives and it's well told no uncompassionately and without context with and without repair right yes without repair so yes. there there is good there is a good type of shame it's called social shame so if i'm a 5 year old and i'm masturbating in the uh, family room while we're opening Christmas presents, there's a way to stop me from doing that, that will probably make me feel shame, but then can be repaired. So I'm, so I say to my, you know, my dad says to me, Hey buddy, it's, it's not wrong to touch your penis, but to do it in a group of people like that, it's inappropriate. So I wanted yes. to, I didn't want you to get hurt by that because in situations, so, so, social shame is really guilt, Scott, let's just call it what it okay. is. Let's, let's right. make a hard break. But it, yeah. but it's a, it's a way to contain behavior. It's a way to yes. keep the child safe, and it's a way to yes. keep the child socially connected. So yes. there's, there's a good use of guilt. Yes. But shame, as a toxic force, is when you go, stop doing that. That's filthy. That's dirty. And you, you're see, dirty. You're dirty. You're filthy. Yes. You don't even need to say you're that. All you have I know, to do. But that's the implication, Scott. When 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 those words are said, that's this. When you're making an absolute statement out of context, it's always internalized as shame. That must be me that's causing that to happen. So this is a story I've heard really often: is a teenage boy's masturbating, and his mom will walk in and go. Oh, that's disgusting. She shows disgust on her face yep. or she finds his towel that's full of semen and blah, blah, blah. And the reaction is shame. Yes. And when that, when that pattern of telling a child no, harshly, without repair, outside of a proper context, is a consistent pattern in a person's life, it's very easy then for shame to attach to sexuality because we already feel very tender about these parts of our body that we don't show all the time. Right. Which, and again, back to what your, your dad was talking about, you know, con conscience is a tough word. How old were you? You said you were 17 when he said that? No, How old I was were you? 12. Okay. So you were younger. So again, and this gets back to what we're talking about with Augustine and all the, all the religious dynamics, when we don't understand how sexuality works, we just moralize it. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a culture where uh, it's called the purity culture. Uh, if you grew up in an evangelical church in the 80s or 90s, 
that literally you were given the, the what to do with no context of why or how. It was just basically do this and don't do this. To have sex when you're married, don't have sex until you're married. And shame, shame on you if you do. And um, if you if you wait till you're married, then everything will be wonderful and beautiful and your life will be perfect, which was all bullshit. I mean, it's just call it what it was. It was harmful to put that out of context because it did not address all the things we're talking about here. My desire, my m- the meaning behind what an erection meant for me. It, it was a gateway for me to find healthy connection and healthy potency and uh, healthy fertility in the sense of growing and producing and, and, and creating, as, you, as you've mentioned. And so when we have these, um, these aspects of our, of, our, uh, of our bodies, and, and I mean, Scott, what are we supposed to do with a spontaneous erection? Where do we go with that? Well, if, you, if it's already bound up with shame, you're going to feel a lot of shame every time that happens, sure. and it's not under your conscious control. So now you're in a situation where when you are consciously aroused and when you're unconsciously aroused, you feel shame. You feel yep. shame about your body. You yep. feel shame about your sexuality. And it's going to show up in what you fantasize about and how your arousal sure. template gets formed. It's a toxic mix. So let's just get really concrete. I have an erection. A lot of guys would say the way to get rid of an erection is to masturbate. If I don't, if I don't want this, if I'm having the shame, so I go look at some porn or I just go, I just go masturbate. Yeah. I mean, is there an alternative? There is an alternative. I think you have to ask, when did you believe the the alternative starts with just being curious? Yeah. When did you start to believe that your erection is a disgusting, bad thing? Mm. Mm. It's a great invitation. Yeah. Tell me that story about when you getting a hard on started to become shameful. Mm. because you get seven at night and you don't feel shame about that. But when it happens, when you, your teacher asks you to go up to the, to the blackboard and you brushed against the pretty girl in class and you like how she smells and you start riding on the track board and you get hard and everybody sees it and starts snickering. What are you supposed to do? Or, you or go you're working out at the gym and there's an attractive woman. And, and, I, and let's just say this, and we'll get to this in our objectification episode. There's beauty in the world, man. There are beautiful people that were created and they can be observed and, and, and acknowledged for beauty. And sometimes beauty creates a physical response. What are you going to do when your friend, a guy, is grieving about something and you reach over and touch his hand to comfort him and you get an erection? Yeah. What, um, what happens when you're listening to a story of harm and you feel emotionally connected to somebody? And you start getting an erection. So I, um, I, I may get her name wrong. You, you're going to get it right. Emily Nagoski, who wrote the book, Come As You Are. No, you got it close enough because I don't know. She, <laughs> <laughs> she, she has got a great TED Talk on this very subject, this incongruence. Yeah. So what happens when I experience sexual excitement, but I'm not experiencing sexual desire? Yeah. And that incongruence between that for women, there's an overlap of about 10% of sexual incongruence between what they're experiencing in their bodies and what they're, what they're desiring. And she talks about, you know, she helps uh, abuse victims and Mm. she reads a story in the New York times about the rape of a woman and she feels her genitals start to tingle Mm. and get wet. Yeah. What's going on there? 
Yeah. Or I read a story about rape of a guy in prison and it's horrific, but it arouses me. So that's a good point that the fact that male rape, like a male being raped by a woman is almost non-existent because you know, in women, there is a little bit more of the differentiation. It's just still happens. The, 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 the conflagration, the crossover of the, of, um, arousal and desire, but with men, especially we talked about earlier when there's feeling uh, a very heightened sense of, of, um, not feeling safe, they can get that erection. And so then a woman can force herself on a man and have penetrative sex, even though, he doesn't want it. He's not consenting. I've heard multiple stories about this with guys, especially earlier in their sexual experience. Or a man can self force himself on another man and a man and a boy can get an erection without yeah. being sexually attracted to a man and Completely. experience orgasm. What are you going to do about that? Yeah. That brings tremendous shame. Absolutely. So, so this uh, sexual incongruence is a really important concept to get down because, and she likens, she gives a beautiful analogy. If I bite into an apple, and I discover that there's a wormhole in it and a worm in the apple, but my mouth salivates. Does that mean I wanted to eat the, the apple? worm? The yeah. worm. No. The worm. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And so engaging this sense in which our arousal gets linked to shame, what stories does that occur in our lives around? It may be mom walking in on you when you're masturbating and you're 12 and you see disgust on her face. She doesn't have to say anything to you. She can mm. show disgust on her face. It will register in your nervous system and you will think I'm disgusting. So Scott, uh, uh, there's so much there and, and, and maybe, you know, we're going to come back. Well, not maybe we are going to come back to it because a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is these issues of masculinity, insecurity, abuse. Um, and so we want to come back to that, but there's a whole other side of this. That's really important to address. And I don't want to left, leave it unaddressed which is what about shame when I don't have an erection? What's going on for me? And, and I'll just tell you a story is uh, there was several years ago when um, my wife and I were just having some marital trouble and I had, um, I had struggled and I had to confess that struggle to her and we were in the process of repair. And in the months after when we finally decided to be intimate again, we got together and nothing happened. I got in bed. We did all the usual foreplay. We did all the usual touching uh, and no erection came. And this happened for several months. And there was a point where I was like, okay, did I break it? Did, did the, did the indiscretion just turn off my erection? And so I was really afraid. Um, and fortunately after a few months, it, it started to come back. But I know many men, whether they're young or old are in that place of real insecurity and shame around their penis not working the way that it once did. Yeah. I can tell you what I've had to do in this instance. Maybe you, you had to do this too, but as I talked about in the previous episode, my story of harm around my erection is in the opposite direction where my erection was used against me. Mm. Um, and I couldn't do anything about getting erect. How do you get out of that? You have to see in what ways has shame bound to your sense of arousal or lack of arousal? And you have to do what seems to be counterintuitive is you have to bless what's going on in your body, even if you don't like it. So this applies to not getting hard or not getting 
not being able to keep from getting hard. So bless my impotence or bless my unexpected arousal. Yeah. Tell say say more about that because there that that seems like it, it seems impossible in some senses because I, I I just want to fix it I I just want it to go away I want it to do the thing I want it to do or not do you know when you have an unwanted erection or you can't get an erection when you want one you're going to feel shame. Mm. How we so often try to change is by escaping the shame, which is a terrible feeling in the body of deflation, helplessness, yeah. worthlessness, by going to self-contempt. Yeah. I hate my penis. Yeah. I hate my erection. I hate having sex. I hate myself. Yeah. It's an off-ramp for really feeling that emotion of shame. And you cannot escape that cycle unless you're willing to engage the shame. And yep. willing to do the opposite of what self-contempt would have you do, which is curse yourself. Well, and and I think, Scott, we really need to, to highlight this. There is an epidemic of erectile dysfunction of, amongst young men, men in their 20s and 30s. Uh, and, and really, we don't know yet how long it's going to last because it's just kind of come up in the last 10, 12 years. And it's directly tied to the overuse of porn, broadband internet, and chronic masturbation. What you just described is the setup. The only place that I can feel aroused is in the deep shame. In that place of I, I lay down with my wife or I lay down with my partner and I, I can't get an erection. But if I turn on my phone, if, if I turn on the porn, the erection comes. And then I masturbate to it. And I bond myself to that experience and the shame cycle starts all over again. Yeah. And so what you're saying about blessing your, your shame is really, it's not about, I mean, the goal is to, is to not have the behavior, but the behavior is symptomatic. It's the fruit of this dynamic that we're talking about. So I've got to go back to those root issues and ask that question that you said, what is it that invited me into that, that pushed me into that drug me into this place of, shame around my sexuality and ultimately my erection. Yeah. So, so in my particular case, um, instead of hating the fact that I got aroused while I was being abused, I have to bless my arousal as a gift from God mm. and what was going on in my body as a good thing and not feel like I'm blessing the abuse. I'm not blessing the abuse. The abuse right. was the abuse, but what was happening within me in my body and my arousal was good. And I can't call something that God calls good evil and be healthy. So let's go even more dramatic and take the porn analogy. Is there a sense in which porn can be a imitation of, but yet a representation of what is good connection? What is healthy connection? Yeah. And I think the question is, you have to be honest about whatever it is that you're using to find arousal. Yeah. How has that served you? Yeah. Instead of vilifying that, can you see how that helped you survive really difficult, emotional, interpersonal, personal identity times in your life and how you use that activity, whatever the unwanted behavior is to maintain a sense of feeling alive and good enough and powerful when you were feeling powerless, you have mm. to be able to bless 
how that activity helped you survive without feeling like you're completely endorsing continuing with the behavior. Because all of our sexuality gets damaged with this sense of shame, with the complicity, with the helplessness, with the intense emotions generated in all these experiences, whether they're abusive or whether they're my own choice, we were experiencing harm. And you've got to see how going back and repeating those patterns of the past has helped you. And that underneath what you're doing, there are good desires. And instead of vilifying the desires themselves, you honor those desires or you honor your arousal and you bless those things and you put containment, you say no, you put your own limits around yourself out of goodness, yep. out of wanting to, to bless what is good about my body, about my erection and so on. It's, so, not, in, it's not easy. Yeah. So in, ter- in internal family systems or IFS language is called loving the teenager. That, that there's a, there's a very childhood wounded part of me that cries out and, and seeks comfort and seeks to be seen and held. And what the teenage version of myself does, whether it's young or old, is I find the solution. What you just said, Scott, I find this thing that works, whether it's porn or voyeurism or um, chronic masturbation or just, you know, on and on and on with the compulsive behaviors and so we we live in that space as as young adults and adults where we operate as this very young coping version of ourself and when we come into recovery the one of the things that we do through the process of telling our stories is learn to bless both the hurts of the child and the efforts of the teenager and we we come to that teenage version of ourselves and we say you did the very best you could that's that's the survival. You you used porn, you used whatever it was to cope with your life, but right now I'm here and I'm with you and I love you. And there's nothing that you need to do to continue to work in that whenever that little boy cries out, I'm going to go to that little boy and I'm going to free you from having to live out this compulsive behavior to feel like you're okay. And th- that's exactly right. So you can do this for yourself and you can do this in the presence of safe other men, which is what we're modeling here, Chris. We're very vulnerable yeah. about our lives. Yep. Our sexual shame has been embedded, how we've been harmed. And we do that because there's a safety with you and me that we want to show other guys. You can have yes. relationships like this where you can be with another man. You can be in your shame and have another man be attuned to you in it mm. and not abandon you and not show you disgust and uh, rejection like you've experienced. And that is healing. In other words, shame, because it's a social experience, can only be unraveled in a social experience with other people. Yep. And and I I phrase it a little bit differently. Shame is learned in relationship and can only be healed in relationship. And so that's that's what we want to invite you to. The real harm of shame around... um, sexual dysfunction and erectile dysfunction and unwanted arousal. All that is, is the isolation is being left alone in it and not having someone to see you, love you. And as Kurt Thompson says, help you feel seen, soothed, safe, and secure. Because when you feel those things, then you can do what we do and talk uncensored about what's going on in your life. 
Um, and guys, the reality is this, there's all, all, all of us are, are coming up on a day when boners are going to be gone. Now I know, uh, pharmaceutical industry has really tried to fight against that, <laughs> you know, and, but, but the reality is the, the erection is designed for all those things we talked about in our last episode to create an identity of you as a man, a healthy man who knows how to live out purpose. And, and, you know, um, there, there's no business of a man fathering children in his eighties and nineties because he's not going to be around to raise them. He's not going to be around to build a legacy with them, which is why the erection passes on in your later years. And so the final thing I want to invite us to Scott around this whole piece is grief. All things are passing away, including our boners. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed mine and I hope to enjoy mine some more. But when the day comes, I can't enjoy it anymore. I'm going to sit in the lament of my aging and my loss of this experience, but also connect with the greater purpose in it. And I think um, that ultimately is the emotion we're inviting people into in their recovery is sadness, being able to grieve the pain and the desires that were unmet and the harm that's come our way so that we can truly begin to bring everything in one place and heal. Amen. So guys, that's what we're doing. And if you want to do more of that and be get more particular about your story and your arousal template and the things that have ke are keeping you stuck, you can reach out to us um, at the links below, or you can also, um, uh, engage with us on all the platforms. If you want to find out more about what we do, we're on YouTube, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the podcast platforms, TikTok at wegotballs.pod. And we'd love to continue to engage with you. Um, coming up uh, next week, we're going to have a really, really important conversation. Uh, it's a conversation that we as men do not have. So I want you guys to make the time to tune in it's a three-part uh, conversation uh, around sexual abuse and you may not have had that experience but too many men have had it and have never acknowledged it and we want to talk about it with you so scott always great to be with you you too Chris. Uh, and uh you know it's it's always great to remember that we got balls and so do you take care guys Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.